So um, in Judges chapter 6, you're like, we're not in Judges 6, just humor me here. In Judges chapter 6, we are introduced to a judge. He will become a judge by the name of Gideon. How many have heard of Gideon? You kind of know the story of, of Gideon somewhat with the, how he you know, took on the Midianites with 400 men. And great, great hero, great strong man of God. And, uh, but you remember that when the story starts, Gideon is not all that, you know, he's, he's, he's not actually inspiring at all. He's, he's out threshing grain inside a wine press which would be below ground level. And if you ask, well, what was he doing some silly thing like that for? It's because the Midianites, their enemies had grown strong and they were oppressing the Israelites and they would come and they would take their, their grain when they were threshing it. So he was hiding. He was hiding from his enemies. He was of the least tribe, of the least clan, of the tribe of Manasseh. And there he is threshing grain. And all at once an angel of the Lord appears to him and says to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now you know that sounded like he was mocking him at that point, right? Like it had to sound like a taunt because it would be obvious to the angel and to him and everyone around that would have seen him if they saw him because he was hiding that he was being a coward. He, he was just doing what he could do to make it uh, with enemies around him and he did not look brave. He did not look like a mighty man of valor at all. Um, what we're going to look at today might catch you a little bit like the way Gideon was caught by these words of encouragement from the angel, which is to say there was a spiritual reality that the angel knew. He knew the Lord was with Gideon. So he knew what the outcome of the battles would be that, that lay ahead of him. He knew that, that God was going to give him great victory because God was with him, but Gideon didn't feel that. Gideon didn't feel that at all as he was hiding out down in the wine press threshing the grain. And I think something very similar is going on in our text today. So if you'll just humor me there for a moment and kind of hang on to that idea. Here's the big idea. You've already got it in the bulletin. But accept, accept the reality that you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with that with part there stands out to you. The Lord was with Gideon Christ is with us, which is to say we are with him. We have been raised. Now, Paul has confronted the false teachers at Colossae. We're pretty much at the end of that, um, that critique, finally, um, for which you're probably glad. But it, it was key. It was foundational to see uh, this, 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 whatever it was, this witch's brew of sort of Old Testament Torah requirements along with some pagan ideas. He's finished his criticism of that. And you remember that last time where it ended, he basically said, this stuff that they're pushing on you, it looks good on paper. And when they're selling it to you, it sounds good. This is Jay's paraphrase. Uh, but ultimately, it's, it's worthless because it doesn't even do the most basic thing, which would be to give you victory over your enemy, victory over sin and sinful indulgences of the flesh. Your flesh is still the same. It's still pushing you, and you're still, and you're still succumbing to it. So what good is it that these people are putting upon you? Paul's goal is not, though, to simply trash his, his, the false teachers there. What he wants to do is he wants to demonstrate that the Christian who is dead to those things, 
Dead, as Paul says in Galatians, dead to the law, dead to the elemental spirits, not under this authority, that we have something so much better. That what we have is the correct antidote. If we're talking about the sin issue and how those things were not of any effect against the sinful indulgence of the flesh, he's saying this in contrast is is where you get victory. It is that you have been raised with Christ. But I think the average Christian on on the average day of the week does not feel that. How many feel every day of the week as you go along, man, I just feel risen with Christ? Yeah, you can't even get out of bed, right? You're like, I can't get out of bed. What do you mean risen with Christ? But that's what, that is what we are meant to take hold of here in the passage today. Look at it. Colossians 3.1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now when he says if you've been raised, you understand there's different ways of using the word if. That's not an if like, well, you might be raised, you might not be. That's like a because He's really saying because this is true, because you've been raised with Christ, this is a given. What does Paul mean? What what does he mean by risen with Christ? Well, first of all, you have to look once again at that, that whole idea of union with Christ. This concept of being raised with him has to start with the idea that you are with him. You are in him. I think you'll recall, no, you won't. Uh, but at the very beginning of the, of the series on Colossians, we talked about how this whole book is about that Christ is the substance and about our being in him, what we have in Christ. It's all, it all goes, let me give you just a quick review. I'm just going to hit some uh, phrases that we've looked at so far, so just bear with me. To the saints in Christ at Colossae, in Christ, that was chapter 1, verse 1, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, 128. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Yeah, In him the whole fullness of deity dwells, and you have been filled in him. In him also you were circumcised. That was 2.10. 2.11, having been buried with him in baptism. There, there, we, there we jump to the preposition with, which is pretty much the same idea. God made us alive together with him. 2.13. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits. We just looked at that last time. So you get the picture. All spiritual good in your life is not coming to you by observances of these kinds of weird uh, notions that that the false teachers have or any such thing. They they, They come to you because you are in Jesus Christ. Look back just a moment again at Colossians 2 where he kind of gives us this same idea. It says there, having been buried with him in baptism. So there we're with him. We're buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised, again, with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all our trespasses. Now that's a lot. We covered a lot. But you get the basic notion there, yes? In him. If I say it enough, it eventually seeps in, right? In him. With him, we are in that union with Christ. We have, in one sense, spiritually died. 
We have died to our old self. That's what baptism showed forth, that we were dead to our old person and that now with Christ, in union with him, we have been raised to life. What the law could not do, God did in his son. He raised us with him to a new life of righteousness and holiness. Here's the question, Gideon. Do you believe that? You say, why are you calling me Gideon? I hope you paid enough attention that you know why I called you Gideon there, right? We're we're, we're so much like him. The Lord is with you. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Christian, the Lord is with you. You are with him. You have died with him. You have been raised. You've been raised. And, you know, Paul's not going to go to any great lengths at this point to prove that point. When he says, if you've been raised again, he assumes you know that. You knew that before you came today, right? That you've been raised with Christ. You died with him. You've been raised. Is that new information? Hopefully not. What Paul does do is he goes on and gives us the implications of that. Like, what, what, what does that then mean for your life? So there are three implications in the text that we're going to see. First of all, it means if you're raised with Christ, you should seek the things above and not the things on earth. It says, if then, we're going backward, but it's important, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now, how do you seek the things that are above? And if you read it wrongly, if you misinterpret it, aren't you right back to what the false teachers were doing? What did they, what after all were they trying to get them toward as, as if you could look back to kind of the, the nature of it? They were hoping and preaching and teaching and leading these, these Colossians with the idea that if they did certain things, they would have elevated experiences. You talk about heaven, I mean, yeah, they were like, let's go to heaven. Let's, let's, let's get some visions going. Let's, let's do some harsh fasting and whatnot and keep these rules. And by Jiminy, we'll be up there in heaven seeing the angels worshiping God. Won't that be a great and grand kind of thing? And, and is that what Paul is saying when he's saying that we've been raised with Christ, where Christ is seated in the heavenlies next to his Father? Is that what he's getting at? It doesn't seem possible that that could be actually what he's aiming at at all. I mean, yes, there is something mystical, if I can use that word, that dangerous word, mystical. There is something mystical in that it's mysterious about the reality of being in Christ. What does that mean? You know, we, we spend so much time trying to unpack it, and we're still left not fully grasping it, that I'm in Christ. And Christ is seated in the heavenly. So that there, there is something mystical about that. And yet this is not Paul trying to take them right back where the false teachers were and have visions and, you know, like the Beatles would talk about, you know, the magical mystery tours waiting to take you away. Okay, that's an old reference. I guess you have to know who the Beatles are. But anyway, yeah, that whole psychedelic thing of, of they were tripping on acid and stuff when they were writing those songs. And um, yeah, that's not what Paul is talking about. Remember where we're jumping off from. Remember what I said. Last time we were looking at the ineffectual nature of what the false teachers were pushing. That you can't keep these rituals and gain some great ground against the flesh. So that's where Paul is aiming at. And he's going he's to show us as we finish out the book of Colossians how this all comes down to terra firma and, and works itself out in our life. 
When he says, says that the Christian is to seek the things above where Christ is seated, he's saying that because we are in Christ, being in Christ, Christ being the Son of David, the Son of God, seated at the right hand of the Father, it means that our concerns are for that kingdom. He already reigns. He reigns in heaven. It, it will eventually be on earth as it is in heaven. And so we are part of this great kingdom that, it, that, is, that is being spread from, from one people group to another throughout the world. Does this sound familiar? It sounds a little bit like something we've sung many times, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's to be our primary aim. And that has to be the right interpretation. I say it has to be, but I'll show you why I think it has to be. Look at verse 2. He says, and and it's a parallel thought, it's an explanatory parallel thought. He says, set your mind on things that are above and not things that are on earth. Now, you might read that wrongly. You might go, set your mind on. Well, that means to contemplate. So that I, I, what I really need to do is spend all my time contemplating. And, and, and we're speaking about a very contemplative practice there and so on and so forth. But that's not what it's saying. And there, look, there is gain to meditation on the Word of God. There's nothing wrong with contemplating the import of what's being said. But that's not what set your mind means here. It means focus on living out the goals and purposes of God's kingdom. In other words, let that be your ambition. Let that be what you're about. Seek the things above means seek those things which relate to the kingdom of God. Let me give you a little example here in Scripture itself. Do you remember that time Peter was... uh, literally chastising Jesus. You remember the time when he rebuked Jesus? Dumb thing to do. Stupid. Stupid, we can admit, but yeah, that's Peter. Uh, Jesus was saying, basically, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be handed over to the high priest and then handed over to the Romans. They're going to put me to death, but I'll come back. And, and Peter's listening to this, and he, and he scolds Jesus. He scolds him and like, no, no, Lord, may that never be. And why is he doing that? It's because he doesn't want Jesus to do what he just got through saying he's going to do. Why does he not want him to do it? He just wants to keep his buddy there with him. Who Wouldn't you? If Jesus was your best bud, you know, I count friendship very, very dear. To me, that's a very, very dear thing. But can you imagine Jesus being your best friend in the flesh right there? Yeah, he doesn't want to let him go. And what does Jesus say to him? It says, but turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not, and here's the critical, this is the same underlying Greek word, same term, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. What is setting your mind on? It's to make that your purpose and your agenda. It describes what you want. What's your ambition? What are you after? What are you, what, are, what are you hoping for at the end of the day? For Peter, it was like, I just want to keep Jesus right here. Hey, we've spent three good years together. Let's, let's do 30 more. This is, this is wonderful. Why, why would I want that to ever end? So the logic is plain. If we are in union with Christ, we are spiritually united with him in heaven next to his Father, and so our goals, our ambition, what we want 
should be heavenward, heaven-bound, heaven-related, the kingdom of heaven-related, and not strictly earth-bound. When it says that our minds are to be set on things of heaven, not on earth, it doesn't mean that earth is bad. Can I just be really clear about that? How do we know the earth is good? Because God created it and called it good. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and all of that. There's nothing bad per se in that except what we've done to it. It doesn't mean uh, that, that, the, that the material world is bad. It doesn't mean that pleasure, uh, that God gives. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer and we say, um, give us this day our daily bread, you understand that bread is like, it, it really subsumes everything of this life that we have need of. Because, you know, God gives us, I don't know about you, but I, I, it's been a long time since I had a meal that was just bread. Uh, yeah, it's, it's all of those things. It's, all, it's the, so many good and wonderful things that, that God has good, given us. Good work, good recreation, good friends, family. All of those things are, are absolutely good. It means rather that we seek his heavenly kingdom above those things. That if we're talking about what is paramount, if we're talking about priority, Peter wasn't wrong in one sense, for loving and appreciating the blessing of walking with Jesus Christ. Like, none of us have experienced what what Peter experienced. That was just the most wonderful gift of God in his life, except that he was actually wanting to block Christ's kingdom purposes of laying down his life for God's people. And that's why he calls him Satan, because in what he wanted... Even though what he wanted was very good, but by taking what he wanted that was very good and putting it up here instead of where it belonged, he actually was making that an idol. He was actually willing to sacrifice God's kingdom purposes for his own, for the blessing that God had given him. Isn't that a lot like our lives when you really get right down to it? Do you see how important this implication is to be raised with Christ? If we are in union with Christ, if we have been raised, then our our whole mindset becomes kingdom mindset. Or so it should. Or so it should. We're pretty earthbound. We're, you know, we got feet of clay. We're pretty, we're, we're, we get into this life and we're so connected that it's hard for us to separate those things. Yeah? True? Am I the only one that experiences it that way? It is. It's hard when you enjoy the blessing. Who doesn't love the good things of this world that God has blessed them with? It's just understanding that those things are not ultimate. They're the gifts that we have right now. I mean, there will be a day, Christian, when if, if God allows you to hold on to every single thing of this earth that he has given you up to the point that you die, so you haven't lost any of your family, and they're all walking with the Lord, and you still own your house, and it's fully paid for, and you're leaving it that way, and you, all your good stuff, and your, 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 your boat, whatever else it is, your golf clubs out in the garage, they're all there. You've still got them all. You realize, though, at that point where you pass into eternity, those blessings, you let go of those, all, every single one of those blessings is, is gone to you, and you go on to be with the Lord. Think of it this way. If your school administrator... Um, and you're a principal. Um, I don't know, John Pope could answer whether this is true or not. But, John, I'm assuming if you're a principal in school, you should root for your school. Okay. 
All right. All right, that's thesis number one, and that checks out. You, ha- you, you have to be rooting for your school. But what if, oh, what if, for whatever reason, you get hired by the arch nemesis of the school that you've been a principal at? What if all of a sudden you go from this, I'm, I'm not going to name names, but just say you get pulled out on the one, and you, get, you go across the region, and now you're at the, the, the arch enemies of the former school. What do you do at that point? Do you just say, well, you know what, I can't, I can't, I can't pick a team to root for? Like, I don't think your job's going to be very secure at that point. Like, no, you're going to root for your new school. You have changed allegiances. Now, when you go to the game and you're rooting for your new school, there might be a wink and a nod, and after it's over, you probably go over and try to get a handshake, which you probably won't get from, you know, the opposing school at that point. But you understand what I'm saying. There, there's, there is a break in loyalty at that point. Your loyalty is to another. We still live on earth, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we are with Christ, our loyalty. What, what it is we have set our mind on, that which drives us, that, that which is our ambition and our highest desire, ought to be for his kingdom. And if that be true, and you think about the issues of sin and dealing with sin in our life, then some of those questions take on a whole different flavor, don't they? Now it's just not that I'm being tempted and I don't want to sin for whatever my own sake might be. It's for the kingdom of God now. It's a whole different perspective. Okay, second implication. You should rejoice that you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. For you have died and your life is hidden in God. With Christ in God. Read that with me because I think it's got to be one of the easiest verses and one of the most lovely verses that you could just memorize. You could commit it to memory now. For, say it with me. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that? I mean, that, that just rolls right off the tongue. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's such joy in this. We will die one day to these bodies, but for the believer, we've already died. In one sense, we have died. We died to our old self. Amen? Did you do that? When you went through baptism, isn't that what you were declaring to the world? That you died to your old self. You've died to sin. You've died to the law, Paul can say. We have died to the elemental spirits that the false teachers promoted. We live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So the, so the death of the body that is yet to come holds no threat. It holds no threat. We're already dead to that old self. We're already alive to him. Our lives in that one sense are dead and hidden with Christ in God. So first I want you to see again that word with. It's with Christ. That goes back to that whole idea of that union with him that we've been talking about. And then I want you to see that we are hidden. We are hidden with Christ Now, hidden sounds like a pretty easy word to understand, and it is, but it has a couple different nuances, a couple different meanings. Hidden can mean secreted away, like every parent at some point has hidden some candy for the good of their children. Maybe. (laughs) Or because you want a piece of that candy, you know there's no chance you ever get one if you don't hide it. You secret it away. That's, that's one sense of the word hidden. People can't see it. There's another meaning of hidden in Scripture that's, I think, also in this passage intended to be understood. And that is the idea of hiding something for protection. 
that we're hidden away. We're hidden away in, in the shadow of God's wing. Uh, in the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Moses, his parents, hid him you know, in protecting him from Pharaoh. So those two definitions lead to two implications that I just want to line out for you. So first of all, if, we, if our lives are hidden with Christ in God, it means that people in the world don't see it. So that's kind of a negative implication. The people around you don't actually see what it is you have. You can tell them that all day long. You can say uh, on Monday morning when you go to, to, to work, hey, I've, I've died and my life is hidden with Christ in God. You know, I am seated with Christ in the heavenlies right now. And they're going to go, uh-huh, yeah, sure, whatever, whatever. It won't matter to them. In Finland this week, I don't know if you followed this news story, but there was a Christian legislator I guess things must be bad in Finland if you're a Christian because all she did, she was like a congressperson, the equivalent in Finland. All she did was co-author a book with, a, with a, I think, a Lutheran minister in which she gave the biblical answer on homosexuality. And she simply stated in this book that homosexuality, according to the scripture, is a sin. They tried her on hate speech last year. And now a year later, I guess there's no such thing as double jeopardy in Finland because the Finnish prosecutor appealed her innocent verdict and now she's up on charges again for the very same thing, for just professing what the scripture teaches. Her life is hidden with Christ in God, but yeah, to the world, it's really hidden. It's, it's not a thing. The world doesn't take it. They don't see it. It's not valid to them. You can say all day long, I'm in Christ. Christ is in me. And they go, whatever. Whatever, they don't see it. The word hidden also, again, implies that, that our lives are protected, that in Christ we are sheltered. Think of the sweet confidence of, of what that suggests. It means that being raised with Christ, we have confidence not only in his saving love, but also in his keeping and protecting love. In our fight against sin, because this, again, this is all coming off that idea about the effectiveness of the gospel against sin. In our fight against sin, I, I, I'm sure that Satan must come along and whisper in our ears, you know, you're such a loser. You're such a loser. You know, you, you make these bold professions of your faith and you say you're with Christ. But look at your life. Really, are you really? Are you even saved? Are you really? You know, I'm not sure, but what you're going to, you're just going to die and be lost. And then the follow-up temptation would be, hey, if you're going to be lost, this short little life of yours is going to be over pretty soon, so why not grab for all the fun that you can have now, given the fact that you're going to die and be lost anyway? What do we know? What do we know according to the text? You're in Christ, right? You've died to your old life. It's now, where is it? Hidden with Christ in God. We, we are held in the palm of his hand. No one can snatch us out of his hand. Hebrews says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And that word obey him there refers to the idea of the obedience of faith. Being raised with Christ means we've died with him. And so we are raised to that new life. We are hidden. That is our security. And therein is the empowerment against sin. 
Okay, third and final implication of being raised with Christ, and this is that you should regard Christ as your life. You should regard Christ as your life. It says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, people, like we said, in the, people in the world have no eyes to see and take in that, that, that your life is hidden with Christ in God. They, they don't actually know that. Now, it's, it is true that at times that there's a little glimmer, uh, you know, just like that the light set on a, on a table. It can be seen by those around. There are times when a glimpse of that hidden life starts to peek out, and we, we earnestly long for that. I don't know if you've uh, heard about this, uh, this guy in Virginia, Oliver Anthony, went viral with that song about Richmond, north of Richmond. How many of you wear that? Yeah, it's, it was super, super viral. But what's interesting is, I don't know if you knew this or not, but he had, he had had like a conversion experience just like a matter of weeks before that song came out. And he was on Joe Rogan which must have been a real trip, you know, go from nothing, nobody, and all of a sudden you're, uh, Joe Rogan, big podcaster guy, if you don't know who he is, but he's not a Christian, Joe Rogan isn't, and he interviewed this Oliver Anthony guy, and, and he gives his testimony. He shares with him how Christ, you know, brought him from the brink of death, brought him from the brink of suicide, and, and Joe Rogan was literally moved by this. It actually got to him which was really cool to see. So yeah, even though this is hidden there, there are times when there is a glimpse that will break through. But Paul's comfort here, and where Paul goes logically with this truth, is not, well, just try harder so that they'll see this light and this hidden source of... He doesn't go there. Where does he go? He gives us comfort. He gives comfort to the believer. He places our hope. He... he, fixates our hope on our union with Christ and that Christ is our life. He sets our mind on the things above where Christ is seated. And then he sets our hope on the coming of Christ. Jesus is coming again. He will come in the clouds with the heavenly host, with the trumpet blast, with the, with the angel cry. Look what it says in verse 4. When Christ who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Christ is your life. It's just very hard to keep that focus, isn't it? When we are surrounded by so many other blessings of God. But our greatest joy, Christian, is this statement. Christ is my life. Can you say that in your heart right now? Christ is my life. Meaning the highest blessing, the the greatest good, the, the whole core around which life can be defined is knowing Christ, is having Christ, is being in Christ and knowing that he is coming again and we will be with him forever. The core blessing that we call life is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ as Lord. And if, I think if that doesn't resonate with, with something inside of us, we need, to, we need to do some checking on something. I mean, if, if, if we're so jaded, if, if we as Christians become so dulled that this thought, Christ is my life, 
if that thought doesn't percolate a little bit, remind us, then there's something off. There's something off with where we should be. The second piece of this good news is that though all of this is hidden now and has to be taken by faith, what Paul is saying is all that hidden part that we were just talking about isn't going to be hidden forever. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. But Jesus Christ is coming again. And then every eye will see him. Every eye. He will come, and and he will come in glory, and he will take us unto himself. And when that happens, in that day, that which has been hidden from the world, that which we have hidden in our heart by faith, will be known to the whole universe, to the angels and and the principalities and powers and and the elemental spirits and to those that rejected our testimony. It, It will be known. So in summary, what the law and the elemental things couldn't do, God has done in Christ. The power for living the Christian life does not come from following certain rules or trying certain practices. The power is Christ. You and I who have trusted in Christ, you and I who have believed upon him, we are in Christ and our lives are hidden with him. Isn't that a beautiful thing? The world may not see it, Christian, but you know it. You've taken hold of that by faith, and the faith will become sight. He will come again, and he will raise us. And if we ask, well, how will he raise us? With what kind of body? We're told it, we will be like him. We will be like him. We will be with him. And so where should our focus be? Where do we set our minds? Do we have to reject living in this world? Do we have to reject the good blessings that God has given us? Did Peter have to reject the joy of walking daily with Christ? No. But we have to know where our priority is. What, where are we setting our mind? What ultimately, truly matters to us? If you're not in Christ, then here's what the scripture tells us. It tells us that you are without God and without hope. Without hope, without God in the world, the book of Ephesians says. And it's because you're not in him. It's not because Christians are better than you or something of that order, not at all. It's that you have not come into union with Jesus Christ in whom is the light of life. It's only in him. Jesus said, apart from me you can do nothing. In that passage in John 15, it, it explains that if we're not in Christ, we're like, a, we're like a branch that's disconnected from the vine. And what happens to a disconnected branch when it's lying on the ground? I was out for a walk last night, walking down 17th Street, and I got past one of those houses that just haven't done anything yet with their branches. And it looks like a wildfire's about ready to start at any moment. It's all dry and brown and lifeless. That's because there's no connection any longer to a living tree. It was once alive, it was full of sap, everything was good, and, and now these things litter the, litter the sidewalk and could catch fire at any moment. That's who you are apart from Christ. If today, if today, you came to Christ, you would be able to say with the scripture, Christ is my life. Christ is my life. Oh, to know him. Oh, to be raised with him to that life and to have that hope. 
Believe the gospel. Believe in Jesus Christ. Turn to him today. And you can be united with him and have that life. Let's pray. Father, every one of your children has the joy and the security of knowing that our lives are hidden with Christ in you. And even trying to peel back those words, it's so deep and so beyond us, Lord, that we take it on faith. We take on faith that we are united with Christ, that we have the Holy Spirit in us, that we are the, we are the recipients of life and that we have the hope of life and we look forward to you, our life coming back with the clouds. Lord, fix our hope there. Cause us, Lord, to set our minds there. Even in the midst of all of the blessings of this current life as we know it, Lord, remind us that those things will all fall away and only one thing will remain and that is that we have life in Christ and have him forever. And I pray, Lord, that that might sound good to the soul or the heart of the one that listens that doesn't know you. And, Lord, that you would just awaken them, awaken them spiritually and cause them to see and to believe and have life through Christ's name. And we ask it in his name. Amen.